Section 6, um, those of you that just took off, welcome you back. It's good to have you back, amen. Praise God for those of you that, well, every one of you that's in here, that's not a snowflake Christian or paper, you're not made of papyrus, right? And you... In spite of the rain, I tell you, when I was about to leave and I heard the thunder and I heard the, and, and, and the downpour, I said, oh, boy, a lot of people are going to be out. And granted, a lot of people are out, but, but you made it, and we made it, and we're here. And God blesses those that diligently seek him. Amen. So I commend you for coming out this morning. And so I just want to pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, uh, we just pray that um, as your word is being spoken this morning, that you would somehow awaken in us a hunger for your word. Lord, I, I must confess that many times we come, even myself, we come in here with a preconceived idea of how things are going to go and how the program is going to evolve, Lord, and sometimes we lose that um, that hunger, that thirst, that desire to experience something new. And so this morning, I pray that as we hear your word, that it will quicken in us the hunger. That in the same manner that our innermost parts growl when, when we're hungry, that our spirits and our soul will growl this morning for the meat of your word. Those who are new for the milk of your word. Those who are more mature for the meat of your word. But that we would be hungry this morning and receive your word, Lord. And that as we receive it, O oh God, it would not only satisfy us, but it would equip us, empower us to do what you have called us to do. Lord, and to give ourselves away, O oh Lord, for the work of your kingdom. And so I just pray in the name of Jesus, not only here, but even in the classrooms, Lord, awaken in our children a hunger for your word. Awaken in the teachers a hunger as they speak your word, Father. And so I just want to thank you this morning because your word... Um, revives us, reignites us, oh God. And so I thank you for doing that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We've been speaking on the book of Romans. Um, um, for the last few weeks, I started a few weeks ago and then I got sick and then Pastor Margie picked up. And so today I want to just continue to speak Though we're not going through it in a chronological or in a chapter-by-chapter chapter way, but we're, we're kind of taking excerpts from the book of Romans. As I said before, from all of Paul's writing, this is probably the most powerful of all of his writings. Many scholars believe that the book of Romans is the, is the jewel, is the jewel of, of, of the entire word because of how it addresses grace and how it addresses justification, and how uh, it helps us to understand that what we have and what we have obtained is not based on any merit of our own, but it is based on the finished and the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so through faith, the book of Romans teaches us that through faith and, and believing and accepting that work makes us justified. It makes us right with God. So it's not only saving us, but it is giving us a precision of rightness 
continual precision of rightness with God. And so the book emphasizes that a lot. And so the verse that I spoke about a few weeks ago was Romans chapter 8, where it says there's no condemnation. Remember that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we no longer have to live uh, uh, based on a, 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 a concept of trying to fulfill laws or trying to, trying to work our way into grace with God. But we now obey and we follow God because of his grace. And so we've been saved by grace, and so now that grace that has saved us produces in us a desire to want to obey, to want to follow God. So we do it not for salvation, but we do it from salvation. Amen? So whatever you do, if it's not done from salvation, then you're doing it for salvation, and then what you're making is salvation based on your own merits, and you can never be saved on your own merits and your own works. You were not qualified. Sin disqualified us. And so the only thing that qualifies us for salvation is accepting the work that Christ has already done on the cross on our behalf and allowing us uh, that to, to, to create in us a reciprocal attitude of wanting to do and wanting to obey and wanting to follow and wanting to do the work of God because we are saved. Amen? So, today I want to speak on one of the, probably the most uh, recited, read, maybe preached on verses. I'm sure most of you know it by memory. Found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A renewal of the mind. Amen? And I want to title this message... What God wants is what we need. What God wants is what we need. How many thank God that he doesn't give us what we want? <laughs> We'd be in trouble if God gave us everything we wanted. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't be here this morning. But he gives us and he desires to give us what we need. And it so happens that what we need is what he wants, is what he desires. How many know God doesn't need anything? God doesn't need anything. As a matter of fact, if you've been on a high horse thinking that God needs you, get off that high horse because God don't need you. He is God without you. He is all sufficient and all suffice without you. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Francis Chan wrote a book with someone else. I didn't know that my wife had bought this book, but it's called Crazy Love. Crazy Love. So I'm, I'm quoting to my wife this book that I've been reading from my library that's connected to this message this morning. And I'm saying, check this book. She says, we got that book. As a matter of fact, we even got the video teachings. And so I say, well, praise God. That's a confirmation that what I'm going to speak this morning is of God. She found me the book. And, and, and I would recommend, if you can get it, buy it. Crazy Love, Francis Chan, one of our favorite speakers. Uh, and so, the book is, is, is expressing how is it that God's love for us is incomprehensible. Incom we, can't, we can't understand it. We can't, it's undefi un undefinable. Can't define it. We can't comprehend it. We can't even explain it. We can't rationalize it. 
It's just plain crazy to us. Why would someone that has no need for us want to love us in spite of us not loving him and doing everything possible to cause him to want to despise, to hate, to consume and to destroy us. Why would he persist in loving us so much? That's crazy love. And so the fact is that God does not need us, but he's crazily in love with us. Now, if that don't make you say hallelujah, then I don't know what the heck will. God is crazily and madly in love with us. And so, if we really stop to think about that and ponder on that, it will blow us away. The fact that God loves us so much. That the Bible says that even while we were still sinners, he chose to die for us, lay his life down for us. And so, I recommend that you get this book. I'm going to use some quotes from this book as I speak today. But let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. There's another version that says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, I'm sorry, by the renewal do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The other version says, I beseech you there, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And to not be conformed to this world, but to be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may know or that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, before we go into what is it that God wants and how is it that he wants it, it is good for us to understand why we should give him this. And the verse begins that it is because of the mercies of God. Some sisters from the Catholic Church, they nailed to the outside wall of their convent a sign that said the following, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted to the extent of the law. And then they signed it, the Sisters of Mercy. Now, could you imagine if God, being merciful, would have posted a sign like that on the pearly gates of heaven? It's kind of like an oxymoron. It's contradictory. How is it that you can 
prosecute someone to the full extent of the law, and yet say you have mercy. Now, God had every right to prosecute us to the full extent of the law. Because if there was anyone that trespassed, it was us. Not only did we trespass, we transgressed. And we disobeyed what God had established as the standard. Adam and Eve, and all of us ever since then, that have descended from, from, from that first couple, we have all, even today, we still find ourselves disobeying, transgressing, trespassing, certain areas that God has placed a boundary and say, do not cross, do not go there. Many times we find ourselves trespassing. Had it not been for the mercies of God, the Bible says that we would have been consumed. The only reason why we're here this morning, as a matter of fact, the only reason why you're breathing this morning is because of the mercies of God. The only reason we moved this morning, the only reason we were able to get out of bed and get dressed and get in a car and drive here and walk into this place is because of the mercies of God. The only reason why we just finished worshiping here in this time of song and, and, and praise and we were able to lift up our hands and lift up our voices and, and some were dancing and there was different, a different dynamic taking place in the room, different uh, expressions of worship taking place in the room. It's because of the mercies of God. As a matter of fact, if God was to remove his mercies right now that sustain us right now, that keep us here, and we were to stop breathing right now, we would all die in this room. Those of us that are saved, even after death, salvation be, would be because of the mercies of God. So if God was to remove the temporary mercies that we experience day to day, salvation itself is an expression of God's mercy to us. There's no one in this room that's going to make it to heaven because you finally accomplish perfection. As a matter of fact, when the trumpet sounds and the rapture occurs and those that are dead in Christ rise up and those of us that remain are lifted up, none of us would be lifted up because right before the trumpet sound, we arrived at a place of perfection. No, because we are all imperfect. We all make mistakes. We all, amen, uh, sin against God many times not designed to, but it's just part of this nature. And so really the only thing that is going to qualify us to rise up in the right in the rapture is the mercy the mercy of God because God knows that even though we are flawed individuals and we are frail in many ways he knows that we love him and he knows that we have an appreciation we should have an appreciation for his mercies it's not to take them for granted but we should every day, amen, be in remembrance of God's mercy. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says that the love of God is never ending. But it also says that the mercies of God continue forever. And then verse 30, 30 uh, uh, 24 or 23, it says that his mercies are new every morning. So every day when you wake up, the first thing that should be in your mind and the first thing you should thank God for, amen, before you do anything else is thank you, Lord, for the new mercies that you bestow upon me 
this morning because it is those new mercies that are going to sustain me. It is those new mercies that are going to keep me in love with you. It is those new mercies, amen, that are going to draw me to you even when my flesh wants to draw away from you. Even when my flesh wants to sin, it is your mercies that keep calling out to me. And because of your mercies, amen, I run to you. I love you. I serve you. No matter what happens today, at the end of the day, oh God, I want your mercies to keep me safeguarded. We need to be more grateful for the mercies of God. See, one of the reasons why we can't fulfill the rest of this verse is because we're trying to do it on our own and not recognizing that we cannot offer our bodies as a living sacrifice until we acknowledge that our existence is solely based on the mercy of God. Amen? God has many facets to his mercy. As a matter of fact, the term mercy is many times is used in scripture in a plural form. Psalms 51 verse 1 speaks of tender mercies. Psalms 89 verse 1 speaks about singing of the mercies of the Lord forever. Psalms 106 45, it speaks of the multitude of his mercies. Isaiah 54 7 speaks of great mercies, sure mercies, Isaiah 55 3. In other words, it's not just that God is merciful, but he has mercies upon mercies upon mercies that he, he gives to us. Amen? So, how can we measure the mercy of God? Is it measurable? Can we get a ruler and measure God's mercies? Absolutely not. But we can get an idea of how vast, how high, how wide are his mercies. Psalms 103, verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. For as the heaven is as high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. So great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. But there's an easy way for us to merge the mercies of God. All we got to do is take a look at the cross. When we take a look at Jesus hanging on that cross, we just celebrated Easter a few months ago, right? had Good Friday service, and spoke about the passion of Christ during that week. We spoke about the resurrection on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, or Resurrection Sunday. Amen? And so when we look at the cross, the cross gives us a clear picture of how high, how wide, how deep is the mercy of God. And so in view of that mercy, we serve God not because we, we are afraid of hell, not because we're afraid of his judgments, but in view, when we are reminded of his mercies, we serve God because of our love, our reciprocal love and our gratitude for his mercies. So... We don't serve God because of his judgments. 
but we serve him because of his mercies. We're not afraid of hell. We're excited about heaven. Amen? When we understand the mercies of God, we lose the fear of hell and we become excited about heaven. We become excited of what awaits us. That's why people that understand the mercies of God and are grateful for the mercies of God and embrace the mercies of God, they're not living fearful of death or fearful of hell or fearful, am I ready, am I not ready? No. When you are consciously aware and you uh, 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 value the mercies of God, amen, that fear is replaced by a great expectation, anticipation of what's awaiting us when the end comes for us here on this life. Amen? Amen? So, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why is it that he doesn't say present your spirits? Present your soul. Why is it that he emphasized the body? Because the body is where the spirit, the soul, the mind the emotions, that's where they reside. You see, you can't see my emotions. You can't see my soul. You can't see my heart. What you see is my body. Amen. So what he's saying is, if you're able to present the casing where all of that resides, then automatically your spirit, your soul, your intellect, your emotions are then presented to God. You see? The body is really, the flesh, is really where we have our struggle. When it comes to sin, when it comes to pleasing God, where is the greatest battle? It's in the mind, but it is triggered by what? By the lust and the desires of what? Of the flesh. Because if we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, the body can be a great servant but it is a terrible master. The body can be a great servant when it is submitted to God. But if we let our flesh, instead of being the servant, being the master, Pastor Margie was talking about this not too long ago. We were preaching about this. How is it that the Spirit of God, he comes and he revives our spirit, but did it, then it is our responsibility, even by practicing what these two verses say, renewing the mind. It is our responsibility then to allow the Spirit now to come and overtake our soul and overtake our flesh. When the Spirit is in the driver's seat, then, then we're able to please God. Then we're able to offer God a sacrifice that is holy and that is acceptable. But when the body is in the driver's seat and the Spirit is in the back seat, or we put the spirit in the trunk, the body will lead us, the flesh will lead us on a disastrous, chaotic, catastrophic journey that ultimately ends up in our own self-destruction. And so we have to present our bodies when our spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the next step we want to take is we want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice and and Paul gives us, how is it that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? It can't be a death sacrifice. It's got to be a living sacrifice. See, in the Old Testament, in order for a sacrifice to be acceptable before God, that sacrifice had to be slain. His blood had to be shed in order for it to be acceptable before God. 
But in the new covenant, God doesn't want that sacrifice. He wants living sacrifice. Now, there's a problem between the dead and the living. When you kill something, it can't take itself off of the sacrificial altar. But when you put something that's alive on the altar, there's always the possibility that that living thing that is on the altar is going to want to get off the altar and crawl. Isn't that what happens to us many times? We want to serve God. We want to please God. We want to do what's right. And all of a sudden, something happens that distracts us. There's a sin that comes and, and, and it's constantly pursuing us. There's a thought. There's something from our past that comes and it haunts us. And all of a sudden, just when we're about, amen, to experience the presence, the fullness of God, all of a sudden we feel this discomfort and we remove ourselves because we're a living sacrifice. God doesn't want a sacrifice that is rendered without his own will. God wants a sacrifice that wills to be sacrificed. And so that's one of the problems with the new covenant sacrifice, the fact that we are a living sacrifice. Animals didn't have a choice. We have a choice. And many times we choose to get off. Why? Because we want to please God. But we also have this great weight of stuff that we have brought in to our lives that are also demanding our devotion, are demanding our time, are demanding our energy, are demanding our attention. And so our, 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 our allegiance is split in so many different ways. And so that's why it's hard for us to stay on the altar of sacrifice. That's why it's difficult for us to fulfill what Paul is begging us to do in these two verses because we are constantly being drawn by so many different things that have cluttered our lives. And so I find myself many times, I want God. I want, how many want more of God? But is there other stuff that you also want? I want more God. I want to sleep more. I want to eat more. I want to play more. What you want? I want to eat what I want more. I want to have more time for myself. I want more leisure. I want more sports. I just realized, man, my wife is right. There's not a season that I have not been drawn to a sport. And as I was preparing for this ministry, because it would be, it would be arrogant of me to come up here and project myself as though I'm preaching to you and not recognize that as I preach to you, God is preaching to me. See, I'm not standing here and preaching to you because I got this thing master. I'm standing here and preaching to you because I'm as flawed and I'm as frail and probably as weak as you are. I'm not here because I'm any better. And it's sad to say, but many times pastors allow themselves to be put on a pedestal and people think that we're so holy and we're so... We're so high above everybody else. And so I'm here to break that concept. We are not holier. We're not greater. We're not better. 
We're here simply because God chose us because of his mercies. He chose to use a misfit like me. But this message is not only for you, it's for me. And I was, as I was reading and I was, I was studying and I was meditating, I was saying, man, I have not realized how is it that all of these things, they creep up into your life and they, they steal your time, they steal your energy. And then when it comes to the things of God, you're wasted. And so all you have for God is the leftovers, is the crumbs, is the coming to church one hour or two hours on Sunday. And then the rest of the week, our lives are so cluttered and filled with everything else that we want that we can't even consider what is it that God wants that we desperately need. It doesn't only have to be sports. It doesn't only have to be food. It could be careers. It could be your work. It could be your job. It could be a relationship. The devil is always seeking to distract us, folks. He's always seeking to distract us from what we need and from what God wants. And that's why the church in America is in the condition that it's in. Because we're coming to church and our churches get filled on Sunday or people come to church on Sunday mornings, amen, and they get their little fill of religion. But then we go about, and instead of sacrificing ourselves unto God and presenting ourselves as the living sacrifices unto God, amen, we're sacrificing ourselves on the altar of the world. And Paul says there, you cannot sacrifice yourself on the altar of the world. You cannot, the world is seeking to conform you. The world is seeking to distract you. And when I speak about the world, I speak about the world system. And the one that's operating behind the world system, the one that's manipulating and pushing the buttons of the world system, his name is Satan. He is God's worst enemy. He hates God. And he hates God and he hates us. And that's why he will do everything possible to distract us, to fill our lives with so many things, amen, and to keep us from the altar of sacrifice, amen. And that's why we're always struggling with our mind because instead of being transformed, we're being conformed. God never called us to be conformed. God has called us into a process of transformation. And transformation doesn't happen once and done, but it is a process that is continual. That's why it's important for us to get into the word of God. That's why it's important for us to develop an intimacy with God. And to, and to discipline ourselves to do that. Amen. Otherwise, we conform ourselves to the pattern of this world. Hallelujah. Give God praise. The Message Bible. The version of the message says, take your everyday, ordinary life. This is what the Message Bible says. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. Meaning you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life. Take it before God as an offering. You see, so presenting our lives as a living sacrifice, again, is not us coming here Sunday morning and offering a sacrifice of praise. It is giving God every aspect 
of our being, every aspect of our existence, giving it all to him. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. You know what that means? That if we are offering our lives as a living sacrifice, remember, a sacrifice is offered on what? On an altar. Right? That means that every aspect of our lives, every place that we go is an altar. When you go to school, see, we, we automatically think that the altar is solely related to the church building. This is the altar. This is simply symbolic. As a matter of fact, this temple is no longer the place that God says he chooses to dwell, but now he chooses to dwell in us. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if this is the temple, the temple always has an altar. I'm sorry to say that the temple today has been desecrated and decimated. And what many people call church today temples, they've lost the altar. And it's become a stage. And that's why all you find in a lot of churches is hoopla. It's a big Broadway show. A lot of performance. But no sacrifice. There's no blood. There's no death taking place. <laughs> There's no people that are coming to church, amen, and being convicted and being consumed by a spirit of conviction and coming and confessing their sins and repenting from their sins. No, they just want to come for the big show. Because the church building, what was considered the altar, a place of prayer, a place where the God, word of God was preached unadulterated, where the truth of God's word was not compromised, now has become a stage for people to perform. And so now instead of preachers, we got motivational speakers. Now instead of worship ministers, we have worship artists. And with all due respect, I am old-fashioned and proud of it. I am old-fashioned and proud of it. And there's nothing, because you know something? At the end of all of this, we're going we're gonna to have to wind up where it all started. With all due respect, God is not coming for what we've created now and what we call the church now. At the end of all of this, that's why the prophet Jeremiah said, listen, stop in all of your ways and seek the old. How many know there's a difference between ways and paths? See, ways for the most part are wide. And for the most part, ways are created by large machinery. For example, a road, a highway, a two-lane highway. That's a way. The way to Maryland, you Google it, and what it gives you. It doesn't give you a country road, a little path in the woods for you to get to Maryland. No, if you, if you Google how to get to Maryland, it's going to give you the way to Maryland, not the path. Because ways are made by man. Ways are made by machinery. Ways are wide and they're comfortable to travel. But paths, for the most part, are narrow. Right, Tharsis? When you walk through a path, 
How are those paths where you walk through? Very narrow. And are they nicely paved? Nah, right? Paths are narrowed. And the prophet Jeremiah says, stop in all of your ways. We've taken highways. We've made the way of God a highway. And God never intended for his way to be a highway. He always intended for his way to be a path. And until we don't stop traveling the many highways that we have taken and the many highways that we've created and think that those highways are going to lead to God and we don't understand that the only thing that's going to lead us back to God is getting away from the highways and going back to the old path. So that's why I am proud to say I'm old-fashioned. I'm proud to say that what God is coming for is not what we have now. We have to get back to where it all started. We have to get back to being passionate for God, hungry for God. Not simply a passion that is awakened here in the church or is awakened in the service. No, a passion that's continued, a hunger that's continued, a thirst that is continued for God. And the only way we could develop that passion and that thirst is when we make the decision to offer our lives on the altar of God as a living sacrifice. If we don't, then we fall into the category of lukewarmness. And you know what the Bible says about lukewarm. It makes God sick to his stomach. And with all due respect, I'm here to confess to you, I've given God an upset stomach lately. And I don't know if any of you want to be sincere enough to acknowledge that in many ways, we are giving God an upset stomach. Because we're not giving God what he wants. And therefore, we're not getting what we need. We're acting like if God needs. And so because he needs, we give him whatever we want. Don't work that way, folks. If you don't give God all of you, he could care less about half of you. Because he doesn't want half of you. He wants you all. And so that's why when we speak of living sacrifice, we're speaking of altars. When we speak of altars, that means that wherever we go, there's an altar. Because the altar is in us. Wherever we go, God is expecting for us to sacrifice ourselves. How do I sacrifice myself on the job? How do I present myself as a living sacrifice on the job? Swallowing my tongue when my body is telling me, you ought to just curse them out. You ought to just tell them where to go. How do I sacrifice myself in, in the workplace? When the boss tells me I got to do something, and instead of me fighting it, you know something? The boss said it. I'm going to obey. A sacrifice. Why? Because your flesh, what your flesh wants to do? It wants to fight. It wants to fight for its rights. It wants to stand up for its rights. How do you sacrifice yourself at home? How do you sacrifice yourself in your relationship? You see, if you don't understand that your sacrifice is 24-7, that your altar is with you 24-7, and that many times we keep that altar bare because we've taken ourselves off the altar, is with us, but we don't want to lay ourselves down on the altar. And our pride takes the best of us. Our pride gets the best of us. And then we're wondering why we're struggling in our minds, why we get all these negative thoughts, why we're succumbing to sin, why temptation is having the best of us. Why is it that we want to serve God, but sin has lord over us and we can't get away from this habit, from this addiction? Why? Because we have an altar, but the altar is bare. 
We don't want to lay ourselves down. Pride has taken the best of us. It's making sense. Is anyone feeling what I'm feeling? Amen. We need to understand God desires us to lay our lives as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice that is holy, that is set apart, that is separated, that is sanctified. What is it that sanctifies us? According to the word of God, we are sanctified by what? By the word of God. How can we expect to be sanctified when we underestimate, when we undervalue the potency that is contained in this word? How do we undervalue it when we only take, grab it on Sunday mornings and only read it on Sunday mornings when the message is being preached? If we don't get into the word of God, if we don't get into a life of, 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 of consecration, of prayer, amen, it is difficult to offer God a sacrifice that would be holy. We have to separate ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 6, verse 17, it says, So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. And this is the message that I'm quoting. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. Should I read it again? Let me read it again. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Of course, I'm reading the message translation. How does it read in your, in your version? Somebody just read it out loud in another version. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from them. Who is the them? The them is the world. You got to come out from the world. The them is Egypt. Egypt is a representation of the world, of the old, of sin. You got to come out from them. Again, take, ev take your everyday ordinary life. I'm sorry. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. Now, I would dare to say that it's not only those, but the things that will pollute you. Because we might get away from people that could be a bad influence, but we might have things in our lives that influence us negatively. And so I would add to that not only people that pollute you, but the things that will pollute you, you got to get away from that. That's how we consecrate ourselves. That's how we make ourselves holy and acceptable before God. Again, acceptable unto God is the idea of holiness. Not your holiness, but God's holiness. What is it that God desires from us? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. 21, verse 3, Proverbs. It says to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, when we're able to understand this, then we're able to offer God a reasonable, reasonable there means a rational, intelligent, logical service. Now, that doesn't make sense to the natural mind. So, 
when, when it speaks about reasonable, is not something that makes sense to your natural mind. It's something that is beyond your understanding. But it is rational to God. How many know that the wisdom of man is craziness, is foolishness to God? But the wisdom of God is also foolishness to man. Amen. So when we offer God a rational, it's not rational based on our intellect, but it's rational based on God's wisdom. Amen? Amen. So, Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Speaking of this, this, this rational, not being necessarily rational to us, but rational in the eyes of God. It says, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, many people, they come to church, but they can't make a commitment. Because they say, I, I just can't make a commitment. I can't conform myself to that. And that is exactly right. You can't. In fact, no one can. Because conforming is not what God desires. Conforming is what the world desires. That is the world's process. God's process is transforming. That's how God gets what he wants. And that's how we get what we need. When we do not conform, but when we submit ourselves to the process of transformation. The word conform in this verse means to mold one thing into, sh into the shape of another. Isn't that what our natural nature seeks to do all the time? We're always trying to compare ourselves to someone else. We're always trying to live our lives based on someone that we look up to. He got a car, I want that same car. He got a house, I need to get me a house. He got a better job, well, I need to find me a better job. He dresses this way, well, I need to compete and dress. Because we're always trying to conform ourselves to someone else. Meaning we're always trying to mold ourselves to someone else or to something else. That's why conforming is not acceptable before God. Transforming is a total different. Transforming speaks of metamorphosis. It's like the butterfly. Before he became a butterfly, he was what? Caterpillar. And he went through that process of metamorphosis, transformation. And that's what God seeks, amen, from us, that we would submit ourselves to the transformation process. How do, we trans how do we submit ourselves to transformation? Through repentance. In other words, we have to come to a place and point where we realize that what we have is not good enough. Or that what we had. Some people serve God and they still are kind of boasting of what they did before. It's almost like they still have a liking to who they were before. And so when you still have an attraction to what you were before, or when you still have a liking to what you had before, or when you still speak about your past and you wear it like a badge, like you're supposed to, wow. There's still a linking. There's still a connection. 
you have probably been conformed, but you have not been transformed. Because when you're transformed, amen, transformation severs. It separates you from your past. Your past, you simply remember it just as a way of you thanking God for how, how far he's brought you. But you don't wear it as a badge. You don't boast about it. You don't speak about it as a, yeah. Man, I was bad. You don't know. <laughs> Dude, you better be careful because you don't know who I am. You don't know my past. Don't mess with me. When we talk like that, we have not experienced transformation. We are not laying down our lives as a living sacrifice. What you wore before is not something you should be proud of. It's something you should be ashamed of. And it's something you should be thankful to God that he brought you and delivered you out of that miry clay, out of that muck, out of that mess that you were in. That's when you know that someone is transformed. When they don't celebrate their past, but they, they, they speak of their past as a testimony to try to get people to understand if God did it for me, then he's able to do it for you. I am not proud of what I was in the past, but I'm thankful to God that in spite of who I was, he had mercy on me. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies caught up to me. And because of his mercy, I am now a transform. I mean, I'm totally a different person than who I was. I'm not what I used to be. I don't do the things I used to do. Now, again, guys, this doesn't happen in one instant and for all. No, this is a process. This thing of renewing our minds and, and, and submitting ourselves to transformation is a process. It's something that we have to practice every day. It's a process, continual process. We have to submit ourselves to on a daily basis. Amen. Hallelujah. Really, what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. Stop being a copycat. The church has become a copycat. We become a copycat. We become a religious version of the world. The only difference is that we, we exchange words. For the words that are used by the world, we exchange expressions, but we become copycats. We become like the world, especially here in America. And that's why, with all due respect, guys, I don't know how long I'm going to be pastoring here, but while I'm here, while I'm here, we're an old-fashioned church. Whoever comes after me, I can't, can't account for what they do. But while I'm here... This church will remain an old path church, an old fashioned church. We might change some things in there, some things aesthetically, amen, but, but when it comes to our fear of God, our worship of God, yeah, we, we, we're doing some things to upgrade and to be a little more relevant, amen, and, and, and bring, spruce up things a little, but never with the idea of being relevant to the world or being conformed to the world or trying to be like everybody else. We are not Hillsong. We will never be Hillsong. God bless Hillsong. God bless Life Church and every other church. But we are not going to be copycats here. The only copying we're going to do is the copying of the Acts chapter 2 church. It's the only copying we want to 
It's the only resemblance we want to have in this church. Amen. Hallelujah. We don't want to copy the behavior of the world. We don't want to copy the, the customs of the world. I could give a hoot if Justin Bieber came here and offered us $10 million so that I could let him sing. Justin Bieber, you need to repent. Take your $10 million and perish with them unless you turn to God. Church is given platforms to worldly. Churches, how could you even do that and not feel any kind of remorse, any kind of conviction? And then I'm flipping the channels. TMZ, I don't watch that because that's a gossip show, but I'm flipping the channel. All of a sudden I see a headline, uh, Justin Bieber and the pastor part worries. Maybe the pastor came to his senses and tried to speak some truth into Justin Bieber, and he can't take the truth. Just like many Christians today, they're looking for churches that don't speak the truth because they can't take the truth. They can't handle the truth because today the church is filled with snowflake Christians. That's a term that they're using a lot in the political arena, so I figured I'd use it. Snowflakes. <laughs> the church is filled with a lot of fakeness. There's a lot of fake Christianity going on in the churches today. People know how to put on their mask. It's become a Mardi Gras. Our Sunday services have become a Mardi Gras. We know how to put on a mask, and we know how to have a good party and have a good time. But what's happening to the world that we're supposed to influence? What's happening to the world that we're supposed to change from Monday through Saturday? They're going to hell in a pot, in a basket, amen, while we're having a Mardi Gras on Sunday mornings. We need transformation, folks. We need transformation. We need transformation. Do not model your behavior after the contemporary world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, metamorphosis. It refers to a process of the spirit that results in a permanent change of character and conduct. Let me repeat that. It refers to a process of the spirit that results in a permanent change to the character and the conduct of the individual. Be changed within by the new way of thinking. Be changed from the inside out. That's why in order for us the, 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 the renewal of the mind and the transformation and the sacrifice of our bodies, they go hand in hand. Because as we're renewing our way of thinking, remember, this is the center of everything else that we do. It is our intellect. That's where our emotions and, and everything else, that's really the, the central command of who we are. And so when we submit our central command when we committed to this discipline of renewal. Because we're grateful for the mercies of God and therefore we are submitting our bodies as a living sacrifice and we're doing it through the renewal of our minds. We're not conforming to the world, but we're being transformed through the renewal of our minds. Then that begins to manifest in our actions. People can't see our minds. People can't see our hearts, but they see our actions. They see our character. They see our conduct. The world can't transform you. 
The world only seeks to conform you. That is why the world is full of self-proclaimed individuals that are identical in the way they think and act. Don't you see today what you have in the world is basically clones. The devil sets a system of thought and the world all follows that system of thought. That's why you look at the day and you say, oh my God, but what happened to morality? What happened to respect? What happened to reverence? What happened to honor? And every generation, let me tell you, it gets worse. I remember my mother saying that our generation was bad. Now I'm telling my kids, let me tell you something, your generation, they're going to be telling their kids, you know what? It's not, it's not that, that, no, no, every generation, it, it increments, it grows. The immorality, the lack of honor, the lack of respect, the lack of fear is getting worse and worse every day because be, before Christ comes, sin, amen, is going to be at its... That's why the Bible compares the coming of Christ to the days of Noah and to the days of, 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 of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin increase, a desire for sin increase, a yearning for sin increase, and in the same manner, a desire for God and to follow the statutes of God diminish, it decrease. And that's what we're seeing in today's day and age. So we can't be conformed to that. Otherwise, we start looking like the world and acting like the world and living like the world. Amen. But by the same token, we got to be careful even with our religious attitudes and actions. Because a lot of times we know how to act. We know the right conduct and the right actions religiously. That's why we put on religiosity on Sunday and we walk out and then we act like heathens. And maybe it's not you, but I'm saying we because there's someone in here, maybe multiple of us that might be struggling with this. Man. You have to be transformed. It's not enough just to adopt the customs, the worship styles, the activities, the dress code of the church. That's just conforming, and there's no power in that. Unless you are transformed, you will never understand this Christian life. You will never understand worship, true worship. You will never understand the concept of true prayer. You will never understand the concept of true giving. Should I stop there for a little bit? See, when you are transformed and you submit yourself to the renewal of your mind, God even transformed your concept of giving and of money and of your time. When you submit yourself to the to transformation, you come to a real to an understanding, to a realization that everything you have and everything you are is not even yours. It belongs to God. And so the reason why we have difficulty in giving is because we're still in the process of conforming, but not in the process of transforming. And so we still got the mindset that this is mine, I worked hard for this, and so I'm going to use it and I'm going to enjoy it because this is for me. This is for my leisure, this is for my pleasure, this is for my stomach, this is for my, for my, for my entertainment, this is, this is for me. And if I got something left, 
And I'll just... Or sometimes even when we give what we give, we don't give it with the right heart. We give it more out of necessity or out of obligation, but we don't give it with a cheerful heart. So it's not only that you don't give enough or that you don't give what you're supposed to, but even when you give what you're supposed to, if you don't give it with the right heart, it's equally wrong. That means you have a, you have a problem with the transformation of your mind. Because when your mind is transformed, even your form of giving changes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is important, folks. This is important. It's important. I, I, with all due respect, guys, with all due, I said this before and I'll say it again. Your giving to God is not what pays my salary. I get a salary from this church, but whether you give or don't give, God is going to pay me anyway. And if the church can't afford to pay me, and if the church can't afford to sustain me, God is going to sustain me. So your giving or lack of giving is not going to either employ me or unemploy me. You don't give for me. You give because of the mercies of God. I'm, not, I'm just touching, not because you don't give, but because you're nice and fluffy. You give because of the mercies of God. You give because, go like this. You see that stuff that's going up there? Mercies of God. If he chose to take away the mercies, you stop breathing right now and you drop dead no matter how young you are. And so when I give, I don't give because God needs my money. I give because my mind is transformed. I give because I realize through a transformed mind that everything I have belongs to God. And so that, that alleviates, it removes from me the burden of trying to keep for me what really God wants so that he can multiply for me. See, you don't understand. When you don't give to God, trust me, you're going to lose it somewhere. I don't care if you're buying houses. I don't care if you're buying cars. I don't care if you're investing your money. If you're robbing God, Sooner or later, all of that, you're going to lose it. And if you don't lose it in this life, you'll lose it in the next life. Because all of that we gain here is not going with us to the next life. That's why when we sow here, we're not sowing for here. We're sowing for eternity. So when you give your money, you're not giving it to get anything out of God here. You're giving it for eternity. But God in his mercy, he's going to bless you here. And he's going to bless you eternally. Amen. There's, a, there's a new wave going on today about Tithing is not part of the New Testament. And I'm not going to argue with anyone about that. Whether it was, a, whether it was a, a, a commandment for Israel in the Old Testament and nothing is spoken about it in the New Testament, the truth of the matter is that in the New Testament, most of Jesus' parables and most of Jesus' teachings had to do more with giving than anything else. Because he realized that if money had a hold on you, then money will rob you from the kingdom. That's why in one of his parables, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the man who walked onto a field and he found treasure in it. And what he did is he, he chose to go and sell everything. This was a wealthy man. He went and he sold 
everything that he, that he had because the treasure that he found in that field known as the kingdom of heaven was more valuable than all the riches that he had acquired in this life. And so he goes and he sells it so that he can buy that field because he knew that that treasure was more valuable. And so until you don't understand that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than the 10% that God is telling you to give or the, whatever offering you're giving to, you don't understand that. You'll always hoard money for yourself. You'll always be a cheapskate. You'll always be broke. And if you don't give it to God, you're going to have to give it to the plumber. You're going to have to give it to the air conditioning guy. You're going to have to give it to the car mechanic because you're going to lose it because what you're trying to hoard for yourself. Amen. Eventually, you lose it. Now, let's finish this thing, because I think I lost some folks now. I'm going to finish this. I just want to read a quote from this book. Again, I said at the beginning, and I've been all over the place, but the essence of the message is there. If you, you realize that when Jesus spoke, he spoke confusing. He did. I'm serious. When Jesus spoke, he spoke in confusing terms. The Bible says he spoke in what? Parables. And why did he speak in parables? He spoke in parables so that he would be able to separate the fake from the real. Those who were genuinely after him, when they didn't understand the parable, they would continue to follow him and say, Lord, explain to us what do you mean? Those who were fake, the Bible says that the crowds will walk away because he spoke in parables. And so I might have sounded a little confusing to some of you, but I'm trying to sift what's fake from what's real. If you're real, you will delve in deeper. You will go home and you will read that chapter. If you're not, then you go home and you're ah, I don't even know what the message is about. Ah, we had a service. I went to church and that's it. I'll be back Sunday. So, let me, let me go back to this. I just want to read profile and I'm done. We have Holy Communion. As a matter of fact, deacons, you can start getting yourself ready. This is my sign that I need to finish. You can start getting up, going to your places. Amen, all the deacons. Okay, here I go. Lukewarm people. If you're not submitting yourself to, 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 to what we just read, offering your life as a living sacrifice, and you're not a allowing that process of transformation, then you're lukewarm. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them, what they believe good Christians do, so they go. The law says these people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it is easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? King David replied to Aroma, 
No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both the church and also in the world. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for, what, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Revelations 3.1. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this, is, that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do nothing. Don't we like to hear the stories of what people are doing? Man, we hear what God is doing to someone else. Man, wow, that's fascinating. But in the meantime, we hear the stories, we enjoy them, but we do nothing. That's what lukewarm people do. They love to hear stories, but they do nothing. Oh, I would go a little further. They complain about everybody else not doing nothing, but they're not taking the initiative to do something. So they complain about the church, they complain about the programs, they complain about the pastor, they complain about the evangelism ministry, they complain about Abby, they complain about uh, Elder Nelson, they complain about everybody, but they ain't doing nothing, they're doing squat. That's what lukewarm people do. They just sit and criticize and find something to complain about, but they do nothing. That's lukewarm people. Okay, one more. I have a lot more, but I'm just going to do one more. Next, next Sunday, I'm going to preach again and I'll finish the lukewarm. All right? Okay. Let's see. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. Let me read that again. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, with their co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. Whoever acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Matthew 10, 32. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as they, sh as they should be, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. That's what lukewarm people do. And Jesus said, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Isn't that what we sometimes do, right? Boast. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. To be continued next Sunday. And I'm going to continue to speak on this verse. Next Sunday, I haven't even finished. So next Sunday, I will continue to speak on this verse. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray. If there's anyone here, there's anyone here, before we partake of Holy Communion, this is an opportune time for you to get your act right with God. There's anyone here that you feel something in this message spoke to you. You identify yourself maybe one of those descriptions of lukewarmness.
Or maybe you've, you've settled for conforming to the world, but you're not, you're not really experiencing that transformation that God wants to produce in your life. Amen. I just want you to stand right now, right where you're at. I want to pray with you. <coughs> Amen. And I want you to understand, feel comfortable, because I am also standing with you. Because I don't feel comfortable with where I'm at. Like I said, this message not only speaks to you, but it speaks to me. And I've concluded as I prepare for this message, and even as I've preached it, that I need to get certain areas of my life in alignment with God. There's been areas of my life that have been compartmentalized, and that I have given to other things, and therefore they've deprived me of surrendering totally to what God desires to do in my life. So I am with you. We are in this together. And as I pray for you, you pray for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, we want to thank you for your mercies. As the verse says, it is because of your mercies. Had it not been for your mercies, we wouldn't be here this morning. We thank you for your mercies because every time and everything that we've done to cause you to reject us, to cause you to give up on us, you continue to love us, as the book writer says, with crazy love. And you continue to bestow upon us mercies. And so we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the convicting power of your word. And so this morning, I stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand with my brothers and sisters. And I confess, oh God, that in many ways I have conformed myself to the pattern of this world. And I have allowed myself to be distracted. And it has had an effect in my ability to minister the way that you've called me to minister. And so, Father, this morning I confess my frailties, my weaknesses, my carelessness in my life, Lord. I bring it before you. I repent this morning. Just as my brothers and my sisters stand in repentance, Lord, and we acknowledge, oh God, that we need, oh God, to make the transition from conformity to transformation. And so, Father, I just pray that as I prayed at the beginning, that you would awaken in us a hunger, a hunger, a thirst, a passion, a desire for you, oh God, that would outweigh every other desire that our flesh feels and, and wants, oh God, that our desire would be you and you alone, Father. That from the moment we rise up to the moment we lie down, oh God, you will be not simply a part of our life, but you will be our life. That we would understand, oh God, that you have built in us your temple. You have made of us your temple and you have, you have chosen to dwell inside of us through your Holy Spirit, Father. That we would understand, oh God, that concept of the altar that is in us, oh God. And that we would desire not ever again to keep that altar bare, oh God. But that we would every day, oh God, do everything we can with the help of your Spirit to lay our lives down on that altar of sacrifice. And subject ourselves, oh God to your transforming power and understand oh God that the flesh works better when it is under the, the lordship of Jesus Christ when it is under the authority of your spirit that in no way should we allow this flesh oh God to lord over us because it's disastrous and it leads us to destruction father and to eternal separation and so father we just pray right now in the name of Jesus as we partake of these elements oh God forgive us of our sins renew in us oh God that first love 
Renew in us the joy of our salvation, O God. And as we partake this bread, let the partaking of this bread also, O God, be, uh, continue to add to us that passion and that desire to love you more, to live for you more. O God, to surrender to you completely, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. We bless these elements right now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. The, the, the deacons are going to pass.